I'd like to welcome you to the Jed Hughes Podcast. Each episode will feature a unique leader and will delve into the qualities that inspire greatness, galvanize organizations, and teach the next generation of aspiring leaders. Jed ran the process that resulted in the hiring of Pete Carroll, Jim Harbaugh, Andy Reid, Masai Uzuri. Now, according to Forbes, Jed is the most connected man in sports. My guest today has had success because of his grit and determination. In any business, if you're willing to do whatever it takes, move jobs, take on different positions, learn as much as you can, Matt Rule is an example of what hard work, grit, dedication means. As a walk-on at Penn State, he became an assistant coach coaching a variety of positions at, at smaller schools, had the opportunity to work at Temple and made one of the most incredible changes of positions going from the defensive line to quarterback. Had the opportunity to work not only for Joe Paterno, but also Tom Coughlin, two-time Super Bowl winner, and then came back to Temple and demonstrated both at Temple and at Baylor how to turn around a, a program by building relationships, trust, and improving performance. He's now in the process of doing the same thing with the Carolina Panthers. My guest, Matt Rule. Welcome, friends. I've got the opportunity to have Matt Rule on, who, in terms of having grit, walk-on football player for Joe Paterno at Penn State, um, had a number of different coaching assignments before he finally became head coach at Temple, turned it around and turned around one other program and is in the midst of uh, having a uh, huge impact in the National Football League with the Carolina Panthers and at the same time has been battling shingles. So what in your DNA has allowed you to kind of overcome all these different obstacles? It's incredible. Well, you know, uh, I think, uh, Probably just the way I was raised, my parents, just really positive people, um, people that always found the, the, the good in every situation. And so for me, you know, uh, just waking up every day, reminding myself how blessed I am to have a chance to have this job and not not getting caught up in uh, the negative things, but just, just dealing with the positive. So what was it like? Uh, you grew up, born in New York City, moved to State College, and you walk on at Penn State. I mean, being a walk-on football player is not the easiest thing in the world. I have a son who's a preferred walk-on for Tubby at a high point, and it's not always, uh, you're not always treated in the best. I was sort of an off-the-street, you know, local kid that they said, yeah, you can come walk on. And um, really my first year, I had had a shoulder injury, and I, they said, hey, you know what, go, go do something else. <laughs> you know, you could be a manager. So, I, you know, I, I, I just wanted to, I wanted to play because I wanted to coach. Went through a year of just kind of, Literally, my first year at Penn State, I wasn't on the team. I, I just was a normal student trying to get on the team. And finally, I, I talked my way into it. I asked them time and time and time again, and finally they gave me a chance. And, you know, my first year there, we went to the Rose Bowl. I was the second team scout team center. And I was 230 pounds. I'm snapping the ball. I'm trying to block guys. Um, but I had a chance to be on the team. I had a chance to learn from Joe Paterno. And from there, I, you know, worked and finally found a way to get on the field some and do some things to help the team. But um, I always looked at it as as a way for me to to learn from the best, to learn how to coach, and 
was, it was well worth it. If you thought about one or two things that that you learned from uh, Coach Paterno, what what, do you, what would you say they were? You know, I think number one, he held his best players the most accountable. You know, as I've gone around in coaching, I've been around a lot of other guys who they'll get after the you know the walk on players, they'll get after the undrafted rookies, um, but they you know they let the stars kind of do their thing. At Penn State, it was very different. You know, it was sort of like to whom much is given, much is required. You know, he held the best players to the highest standard. And so if you're a guy like me that's, you know, just fighting to be on the team and you see him holding Kajana Carter, him holding, you know, Kyle Brady, you know, him holding Kerry Collins to this elite standard, uh, getting on them, coaching them hard, you know, you have no choice but to fall in line. And I thought that was really a special gift. And then I just think he had tremendous charisma. He would, You know, he didn't talk all the time, but when he did, he talked to the room. And I think you, it made you want to listen. You know, he didn't drone on and on. He wasn't set in his ways. He would change schedules. He he would just feel the pulse of the team and do what the team needed. And um, I think those are two things that I've I've tried to take from him is holding my best players the most accountable and at the same time always adapting to the heartbeat of the team and trying to you know, get them to be at their best. Your coaching career, I mean, it's kind of like how you walked on. I mean, you had a lot of different assignments for about – six different places. I mean, in the first eight or nine years, I mean, how did you manage that? Because a lot of people, you don't want to get into coaching and, and you take a, a job at Albright and Buff. So how, how are you managing your career at this point in terms of taking these different stops and then ending up at Temple? It was really, it was really one of the best things that happened to me in terms of becoming a head coach was just kind of coaching different positions. And what I did was I wanted to be a guy that, hey, I was trying to move up the ladder, so I was willing to do whatever it took. You know, I would I would talk my way into interviews and just say, hey, just give me a shot, and, and be, I'm willing to coach at any different position. And then I also wanted to be versatile. You know, I wanted to be a guy that when I got on the staff that the coach valued, um, that would be a guy that just kind of got the job done and figured things out. And so when he, you know, when the head coach needed, you know, hey, I needed someone to do this, I need someone to do that, they could always turn to me. And I was always proud, and I don't like to boast, but one of the things I was always proud about was, Every place I ever was, they always either offered me a, a promotion or offered me some sort of you know position, and it was it was just because I think because of work ethic. But because I coached all those different positions when I became a head coach, you know, I'm not just an offensive guy. I'm not just a defensive guy. You know, I've coached the D line, I've coached the linebackers, I've coached the offensive line, I've coached the tight ends, I've coached the quarterbacks. I've been a special teams coordinator, I've been an offensive coordinator, and I wouldn't say I was probably great at any one of those, but I had a lot of different experience and I can walk around the, the practice field. I can walk around the meeting rooms and have, have pretty good knowledge of all those different positions. The most unique move I saw was going from defensive line to quarterback coach. That one, I want to, I want to understand how you were able to convince the coach to do that. That was kind of a unique deal. You know, um, George DeLeon, uh, Al Golden was the head coach and George DeLeon was, was our, um, offensive coordinator he was coaching the quarterbacks because we had Bob McNell who's now uh, in Cincinnati was our O-line coach and at the end of that year the first year at Temple we weren't very good Bob went to the Kansas City Chiefs Jeff Nixon our running back coach went to the Philadelphia Eagles and Ryan Day who's now the head coach of Ohio State was our receiver coach and they asked him to be the quarterback coach but he had a chance to go to, to Boston College so we had this kind of exodus on offensive uh, three maybe even four I can't remember who the fourth but the three coaches and I was just sitting there one day with the head coach, and I said, hey, I said, if you need me to coach on offense, I, you know, I coach the O-line at Western Carolina. I'm happy to do it. So that said, shoot, I'll coach the quarterbacks if you need me to. And I just kind of said it in passing. Um, and George, who's one of the great, great, great college coaches of, of all time, 
you know, he had been the O-line coach when I was the D-line coach. He had seen me work day in and day out. You know, we did a one-on-ones against each other. And I think he just thought I'd be agreeable. I'd be a guy who would work hard, but I'd also be a, a guy who would listen to him and execute this the plan. And as he moved from the quarterbacks to the O-line, he said, hey, I'd love for Matt to be my quarterback coach. I took over. Um, he told me, hey, this is what we do. I did as much research as I possibly could. I tried to become the best you know, quarterback coach uh, that I could be. And um, it, was a, it was a unique experience and a fun experience. So how do you end up with Tom Coughlin, two-time Super Bowl winning coach at the Giants? So, um, you know, Al left and Steve Adazio came in and uh, I was coaching the tight ends. Um, I'd moved from uh, quarterbacks to tight ends under him. Kevin Gilbride had been my receiver coach when I was the coordinator junior, and he had gone to work for his dad at the Giants. They had a change and some guys moved around and Kevin moved from, you know, I think quality control up to receiver coach. The assistant line coach left. I said, hey, I'd love to do that job. And I'll never forget, we were playing pickup basketball as a staff at like seven in the morning and I got a call from Coach Coughlin. And, um, you know, he said, hey, Matt, I, you know, maybe I'll have some interest in you. Uh, I'll let you know. And I went three, four weeks, never heard anything. I texted him. Um, uh, he, I think he had one of the assistants reach out and said, hey, you know what, we're probably going in another direction. Um, we maybe have a quality control job, but, you know, that, you wouldn't be able to feed your family on that. I just kind of waited around. I waited around. And then finally they called back and said, hey, we have, an inter- we, we have a guy that we think we're going to hire, but we'd be happy to interview you. Um, I went down, I interviewed with coach and the next day he called me and offered me the job. So it was, it was real. I was really blessed because Pat Flaherty was the O-line coach and he was an old Penn State GA. So we had some commonality there and it was a, it was a great experience. So what did you take from uh, coaching with Tom? What I realized was that if you have a plan, you have a schedule and you just stick to it. Um, if you just, if you're not like a guy who panics, something about Tom, like whether we won, whether we lost, whatever happened, that he had a schedule. He had a process. He had things he believed in, and he stuck to them. And then the second thing was he was great at bringing players in, talking to them one-on-one, um, making sure that his key guys on the team understood what they were trying to get done. You know, sometimes maybe before that, I would just talk to the group and expect everyone to understand. And then as I left him and went to Temple to be the head coach, went to Baylor to be the head coach, I said to myself, I have to have great personal conversations with guys where I lay out what I'm expecting, lay out what's expected of them, listen to them, take their feedback. Um, I thought he was great at that. So when you think about turning around programs, I mean, Temple, um, when you went in, what, what was the record the previous year? I think they were three and nine or four and eight. They, they had just moved up. So we, we had been pretty good under Al, but then they had just moved up into the Big East slash American Athletic Conference. And it was a jump from the MAC. Um, so, so we were kind of, uh, you know, it, it really in transition had to really improve the roster. How did you understand what your philosophy was going to be on turning around a program? So how did you approach, let's, let's say you, you took your first 90 days at Temple. What were two or three things that you think you did that really helped impact your success? Well, I don't think I did many things very right early on at Temple. <laughs> I think it took me, I think it really took me um, halfway through the first year when we were losing to sort of switch my mindset. I think I went in there and was like, hey, because I, I had known most of the players from having recruited, because I'd just been there a year before. So I, I said, hey, you know what? You know, we're going to have fun. We're going to, you know, we're going to work hard. We're going to have fun. We're going to, you know, I was a very light uh, coach. And as we started to lose, I started to realize, like, you, you, you don't win at Temple by, you know, being fun and happy go lucky. You win at Temple by being tough. And so I switched my mindset. That being said, I think the thing that I did that was really good was I hired really good assistant coaches. I hired really, a really good coach in the weight room. What I've realized over the years is 
you have to have a staff that completely believes in what you believe in. I mean, you can have the best X's and O's coaches, the best fundamental coaches, but if they, at the very core, if they don't believe in what we're doing, the players will never believe in it. And I think teams, organizations, companies, when they all believe that they're on the same page, you have a chance to win. And so the one good thing that I did was I hired really good coaches. A lot of them, some have fallen, you know, have gone other places and, and taken other jobs, but a lot of them are still with me now here in Carolina. How did you find these people? You know, some I had experiences with. Some, you know, as I lost coaches, you know, like Frisman Jackson, my receiver coach here, you know, just inter- started saying that every time I had an opening, I was going to interview three, four, five coaches and just listen to guys. And, you know, I'm not one of those guys who lets a guy come in and put up a PowerPoint, you know, you know and says, hey, this is what I believe. And, like, I'm old school. I'm like, turn all that off. Take a, take a pen. I wish we had a, a chalkboard, but take a grease board marker and a pen. Teach me. Because – you know, I have three kids and I'm always amazed when I see my kids, you know, when I, I remember watching my son when he was younger, learn how to swim. I remember watching the teacher because it was really hard for my son. He didn't like the water. I remember watching the teacher teach him how to swim and she had to like coax him through every step. And sometimes she had to push him and sometimes she had to encourage him. And I was like, that's coaching. No, that's teaching. And so I want to see how my coaches teach and I want to get a feel for the type of person they are. So some people I had a relationship with. But a lot of guys that have been with me now, I've, I've interviewed, I've gotten a feel for who they are, and um, they've come in and, and, and stayed with me. You win, have an incredible win against Penn State. I mean, that's, that had to be, in terms of things that you've accomplished, that had to really be up high on the list of accomplishments for you. That was a special day. And, and what was unique about it was the year before, we you know, we'd gone 2-10 and ten our first year. We went 6-6 six and six the second year. We won our last game to be bowl eligible. And we had to come in after that game the next day and tell the guys we weren't going to a bowl game. No bowl game won this. So that was a hard off season. And um, we got to that that preseason, and we had lost to Penn State the year before. And I never forget, we lost to Penn State. My family stayed up in State College. And I got up the next morning, and I just walked. I was literally walking to work, and I walked into like one of the local churches and just sat down and went to church, sat up in like the area. Like no one knew who I was. And I remember this thought as I was sitting there, like saying to myself, like, it's like the U.S. Olympic hockey team. It was at the end of the year. I think it was like game eight, nine or 10. And I I remember, you know, the the U.S. Olympic hockey team, they lost to the Russians really badly. And they used that loss. They took the lessons from it to then to then go beat them, you know, uh, in the in the uh, semifinals of the Olympics. And I said, take that loss as painful as it was to lose to Penn State at Penn State as bad as we did. Take it and and figure out how to beat Penn State from it. So we did that. We went to training camp, and I said, hey, guys, I don't want you practicing a play or defense that we're not going to use against Penn State. We're going to prepare all training camp for that, and then we'll, and then we'll adapt to the rest of the season. And uh, beating, be, beating them that day, I remember it was first time in you know, 74 years, 41 attempts. Um, it was like a weight was lifted off the entire university. Uh, I don't want to over-dramatize but just one right. football. But there were a lot of Temple people that, I'd had to hear about it for a long time from Penn State people. And I'll tell you, as I was walking home that day, um, I got dropped off and I was walking, stopped in. My buddy had a little uh, had a little pub, tavern place, and I stopped yeah. in to get some food for Julie and the kids. Uh, there was, it was you walked in tables, there was people with Penn State shirts on and people with Temple shirts. <laughs> and, and if you know Philly, you know, Philly Philly's a fun place, but it's a, it can be a little volatile place. And even the Penn State people kind of like raised their cup, like, hey, you know, hey, great win for you guys today. So. I was happy for the university because Temple's a special place. You must have had a steak sandwich or a Philly steak, <laughs> or a soft pretzel or something. I think I had a little bit of everything that day. 
<laughs> I'm sure. Then you go into an incredibly difficult situation where you're, they had about every problem that you could imagine at Baylor. And uh, you were able to get that thing turned around. I was talking to Cal McNair yesterday, and he was just talking about when Baylor played, and I guess they hosted you in one of your bowl games. Yeah, yeah. And, they, and he just said what a tremendous individual you were and how the relationships you had with your players were outstanding. He, he was just admiring how you had built these incredible relationships with your team. Yeah, and a lot of those relationships were built through really hard times. I mean, you know, we got into the first year, we recruited a signing class with, I mean, literally we were on the bottom line of Sports Center on the ticker sometimes and we were sitting there talking to recruits. But I think, you know, the one thing that it allowed me to do was be really genuine in recruiting, you know, be really honest. I wasn't having, you know, I wasn't talking to guys about, hey, what, you know, what are the uniforms going to look like? I was talking about lawsuits and, and what had happened and how we were going to fix it. So we had these really honest conversations. And then, you know, the, the team, you know, the team, they, they didn't sign up to play for me. So there was not a lot of trust there at first. And I'll never forget as we were losing that first year, you know, my dad said to me, my dad was around, he said, you know, you're going to rebuild Baylor football one relationship at a time. He's like, you know, and so I went back to, like I said earlier about Coach Crawford, like spending time with guys and talking to guys, not bending our standard, not saying, hey, it's okay, and, you know, but just saying, hey, this is what we do and this is why. And I'll never forget, we lost to Oklahoma State 59-16. And I got on the plane afterwards and the president, a wonderful woman, was on the plane and she was an Ohio, uh, she was an Oklahoma State graduate. And I said, just give me two years. We'll come back up here in two years. I said, just trust me. And I went into the team the next day and they were kind of revolting. But we were, you know, full pads twice a day, twice a week. Uh, we were practicing really hard, not winning. I told them, I said, guys, we're not winning right now because we're not good enough. I said, but if you just continue to work like this, you'll be better next year. You'll be better. You guys will go on and play in the NFL. I'm just telling you, but you have to trust me. You can't just revolt because it's not working right away. And I'm sitting there watching Monday Night Football and I'm watching you know, Jermichael Hasty played for the 49ers. I'm watching Henry Black play for the Green Bay Packers. And they were two guys sitting in that room questioning what we were doing. And, um, you know, we got to seven and six the next year, won that bowl game in Houston. And then obviously, you know, finished last year, 11 and one in the regular season, had a chance to go to the championship game and then the Sugar Bowl. And just, but that, that to me, that all goes back to those kids and the fact that they stayed bought in. They didn't turn and transfer after the first year. They all kind of hung in there. So as you think about those the two, programs temple and valor and if you're talking to a coach that's looking to take over a program that's in trouble what 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 advice would you give them you know anytime i've talked to a coach taking over a new job especially in college because this is obviously my first time doing it in the nfl but in college i always told them don't sell out uh don't 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 think that hey i've got i've got to do this the first year like you want to go try to win the first year your players deserve to win but you have to build the foundation um, you have to make sure that you're doing things right. You know, I, I have a book, um, I don't know, it might, might be in here somewhere, uh, called Hard Knocks, and it's a story of Chuck Knox. And I read it when I was probably like 13. It was his autobiography or 15 or whatever, because I wanted to be a coach. And in the book, he, he talks about going to Buffalo, and he says, you know, let's not trick our way into wins. Let's, 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 let's perform to the level of our personnel and build this the right way. So, you know, I, I didn't want to go 1-11 my first year at Baylor. I thought we were a better team than that. But we had to do things the right way. And I think when you do things the right way, um, you build a solid foundation upon which to improve upon. So that was the lesson that I took from it was just make sure you have the right people, make sure you're doing things the right way, and then trust that the wins will come. And you hope they come in the first year. You know, when we won our first game this year, I was fired up. I was excited. But make sure you're doing things the right way. And um, the last thing I'll say that I learned was, you know, 
in year three at both places, we were playing in the championship games. And I remember saying to myself, you know, we did our best coaching in the first. It, it's when it's when you're not winning. It's when, you know, it's when people are questioning what you're doing. It's when there's, you know, confusion and, and, and desperation all around you. That's when you do your best coaching and teaching. And, and uh, that's the best lesson I would tell, tell every coach in their first year is make sure you do your best coaching job. The record might not reflect it, but the players will remember the lessons you teach them. When you when you say that your best coaching job, how much of that is the teaching, and how much of that is the one on one relationships, and how much of that is is just overall team chemistry that you're trying to build? I think it's all three. You know, I, I really believe that there's three parts to building a, a, a program. It's number one is is you know setting the the team philosophy, like the like you know what you guys stand for, like building that brand, that standard of hey, this is how we play football. Number two is you have to you know you have to get the roster right. You have to recruit or draft and sign well. You have to improve and train the players so that you're you have a really good roster. And then number three, you have got to make sure that there's the right mindset, you know, the right, the right, the right football mindset, the right chemistry, the right brotherhood. And um what better time is there to then to say, hey, this is how we're gonna play football and hey, let's get the chemistry right. Then in the first year, and if you're losing, then you have a chance to really see who's going to stick with you and who's not. So I'm um, trying to get that done. And if you can get it done faster, great. And if you have a great roster, then then you can move forward. But you have to set you have to set in motion. Hey, this is how we play football. Um, this is this is how we run our offense and our defense. This is how we practice. You have to really, in my opinion, uh, set the stage for who you are and what you do. How important was it for you to have NFL experience before you went to the Panthers? I think it's, it helped a ton. Um, you know, I didn't have a ton of it, but I, I think I had it in a great organization under a great head coach. To me, one year under Tom Coughlin was better than, you know, five years under somebody else because I, sometimes when you work for somebody, you take away a lot of things that you're not going to do. Under Coach Coughlin, I took away all the things that I was going to do. And I was able then to go do that at the college level for seven years as a head coach. And while some of the challenges might be different, um, the fact that you realize that like, Hey, everything falls on me. That's something you only learn after being a head coach. And when I look at the head coach, I was my last year at Baylor compared to my first year at Temple. Um, it's night and day, you know, and, um, and I'm still trying to improve and get better daily. I thought that that time at Giants and seeing the way things were done, um, has helped me immensely, you know, coming here. What are some of the challenges that you didn't expect when you took over as the head coach? I would say, uh, you know, obviously the, the, the coronavirus pandemic, you know, um, you know, for a guy that, you know, prides myself on, again, building relationships and having great one-on-one relationships to, to, to not meet our players until, until late July. I mean, that's, you know, that's, you know, we're sitting here, you know, it's where we played eight games, you know, that, that's really, you know, we had three or four weeks of preseason. That's really, really in our third month together. That would normally be, you know, it would be hitting May right now. So I would say just, you know, having to communicate through masks, having to communicate virtually, not having a chance to really get to know each other, spend time with each other, build something together. That's been the biggest challenge for the way I do. You know, some other coaches, it might be easier. They're more transactional. They're more like, hey, just show up, do this, da 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 You know, that's just not the way I'm wired. And so um, that's been the biggest, hardest thing for me. So one of the things in college you're running your own program. You're the GM. You're, you're kind of doing it all. Now, the alignment piece of working with your owner and working with your general manager and yourself. So how does that communication work so that everybody's 
working together and understanding what the vision is and the strategic plan that is being supported. And I think you have to just, you know, in college, you have to see how the guy did it in college, you know, like, so for instance, for me, like I always had, I'm still very close with both athletic directors that I work with. And I think because I tried to include them in everything, you know, after every game, I, right after the game, I would sit there and visit with them, you know, and I didn't look at it like, hey, I'm in charge, just leave me alone. Like, they had a question, hey, Matt, why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? I would spend time with them and talk to them. And I think some college coaches, you know, they are like, hey, this is, this is my fight for them, you know, to keep everyone out. And that's just not my way. You know, I, 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 I liked being involved with the athletic director. I liked being involved with the sport administrator. I liked um, answering questions. And I've always been somebody, like, if you went to a, a, a staff meeting at Baylor, uh, we could be talking about football, and, and the secretary would be in there. And I'd say, anybody have any ideas? If the secretary said, well, you know, I have an idea, um, you know, she might not draw up a play, but if she had a question about this or she said, well, why aren't we doing this? I believe that, that in those meetings, everyone has a right to speak because everyone needs to feel invested in the program. So I think when you're one of those type of coaches, um, you know, there's neg positives and negatives, but just feeling like, hey, everybody has a piece in this. Everybody can speak. At the end, I got to make the decision. And once I make the decision, I expect everyone to go execute it, but everyone having ownership. And I think that um, has allowed me to, to transition well to the NFL because as I talked to my general manager and our personnel guys, you know, I'm not one of those guys who says, hey, you guys just do this and I'll do this. Like, I feel like we're working together. We all have to have the same vision for, for you know, people. So when I say, hey, I'm, you know, I'm looking for this type of player, they then have to have the right to then say to me, well, why aren't we using this guy? You know, because um, at the college level, I wanted, I wanted everyone to have an opinion so I could hear multiple opinions and, and see things that maybe I didn't see. Um, I like that here. I like when people say to me, why aren't we doing this? Why aren't we doing that? Because all I'm trying to do is get it right. I don't want to be right. I just want to get it right. And uh, I think if you have that approach, you know, it transitions well. So the social unrest that took place and it's continuing with the election, how have you managed your team and worked your players through that so that you've come up with a comfortable position? Yeah. What, what I've told our players all the time was, you know, to me, um, and it's the same thing I would have said at Baylor. Like I would have said, I said, say what you want to say, take a stand when you want to take a stand. Like you're your own man. You know, do, you know, do what, do whatever, do whatever you feel in your heart that you need to do. I've said, you know, hey, I'm, I'm here. If you have anything that you feel like you want to talk about with me, um, you know, when players have said, hey, we want to have a team meeting to talk about such and such an issue, I'd say, great. If I, you know, if I have to cancel a football meeting for something that's of greater importance in the, in the big picture, so be it. And I think when players feel like they have a right to say, or when staff feels like they have a right to say and do what they feel is important, um, and it's not going to be, there's not going to be retribution on them. Then I feel like, you know, you feel respected. I feel like when, when you feel respected, you feel better about the place that you're at. So that's all I want our players to feel like they can trust me. You know, I have to make hard decisions. They have to make hard decisions. So take, take the business part of, of this out. But when, while we're together, um, they should feel respected and they should feel like they can trust me and I should feel like I can trust them. And so we've tried to build trust uh, throughout those issues. By, by letting each man decide what they want to do. So if, if you feel like you have to, or you want to take a knee, if you feel like you want to put your hand over your heart, if you feel like you want to have a meeting, do, do whatever you feel like is right. And I think that um, that's, that's the respect that I want for me. And so I, you know, I feel like that's respect I try to give the players. I really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to, to visit with us today. I mean, it's, I've been impressed with you ever since I've had the chance to meet you and really research how you've done it and, and how you've built these incredible relationships. 
I, I just uh, marvel, you know, having worked with guys like Chuck Nolan, Bo Schembechler, and looking at how you're doing things. I mean, I just really impressed them, how you approach it and the positiveness and energy you bring every day. Thank you. Appreciate that. Appreciate the opportunity to be on. Well, thank you.